this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, my name is Zach Chancellor. I'm a surgery resident at the University of Virginia, and I'm here today with Dr. Irv Krohn to talk about tricuspid regurgitation. Dr. Krohn is currently practicing cardiac surgery at the University of Arizona, where he also serves as the Senior Associate Vice President. Previously, he was at the University of Virginia, where he served as the Chair of Surgery from 2001 to 2017. Dr. Krohn, thank you very much for being here to talk to us today. My pleasure. Thank you. As I said, we'll discuss tricuspid regurgitation in today's podcast, so we'll get right to it and start with a case. Let's say you referred a 65-year-old female with a history of mitral valve prolapse and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. She was recently hospitalized for a heart failure exacerbation. A TTE performed during the hospitalization demonstrated severe mitral regurgitation with anterior and posterior leaflet prolapse, as well as severe tricuspid regurgitation. She is now in our clinic where she reports shortness of breath, palpitations, and fatigue. Will you describe your initial approach, including the history and physical exam? Well, uh, you know, this is a case of end-stage mitral valve disease. The tricuspid disease will be secondary to it. So the things that you have to worry about is uh, how much has her liver been affected by the tricuspid regurgitation. It turns out that tricuspid valve disease is probably one of the more dangerous valves for us to attack, not because of the complexity of the operation, but rather the long-term effects of tricuspid regurgitation on hepatic function. So I would certainly check her for you know, all evidence of jugular vein reflux. Does she have ascites? Does she have a big liver? These things typically happen when you have microstenosis or rheumatic disease and tricuspid regurgitation, but you can see it there. And I think the other thing is, is just, you know, just how sick she is. Some of these people tend to waste away, they get skinny, and, and we know now that some, you know, apicotexia is worse for outcomes than obesity. On physical exam, she'd obviously have a murmur and, and probably jugular venous distension and, and peripheral edema. Um, and she's obviously symptomatic and has signs of right heart failure as well. What imaging test would you order to determine if she needs an operation? Well, if she needs an operation, you know that by the history and physical, and uh, she's very symptomatic. Obviously, an echocardiogram, which has been done, is the primary thing that you want to do. If she's over age 50, or if she has a history of smoking, I'd want to do a heart catheterization to be certain she doesn't have, you know, a significant coronary artery disease. The fact her ventricular function is reduced would make me worry about that a little bit as well. I'd also want to do a right heart cath. I want to know if she has significant coronary hypertension. And, you know, typically, uh, even if you have a lot of TR, you may not be that symptomatic unless you have coronary hypertension. If she has long-standing micro-regurgitation, she might. It's more common, again, with microstenosis. She has a, a TTE, which shows tricuspid annulus that is dilated to 45 millimeters with impaired leaflet coaptation, and that's causing severe regurgitation. Um, and then uh, she also does have a, a right heart catheterization that demonstrates mild pulmonary hypertension, a PA mean of about 27 millimeters of mercury. 
And then on, on coronary angiography, she has clean coronaries. Uh, is there anything that you may find during your workup that would make you hesitant to offer her an operation? I think if she had um, end-stage significant cirrhosis, I'd, I'd certainly worry about her. Some people have just had a dysfunction and that would get better. So we would look at MELD score. A very high MELD score would certainly, or even a moderately elevated MELD score, would make her get at least a hepatology. We'll assume that her liver dysfunction is acceptable or that she has none. And so now we're in the operating room. What's your operative plan? So including cannulation strategy, how you're going to access the mitral and tricuspid valve, order of operation. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, obviously there are some people who would do her in a minimal place approach, and that, that may be perfectly legitimate. My, with a two-valve situation, my preference would be through a small sternotomy. I would use single arterial cannulation and two venous cannulas with tapes. I think you just need to leave room enough to work on the tricuspid valve. I would have a uh, mitral valve contractor in place, which could be used for the uh, tricuspid as well. I'd start with the mitral valve, and even if she has bioleaflet prolapse, unless there's a lot of calcification or something unusual, it should be a repairable valve. And uh, I would plan on repairing it. With degenerative disease, I would use a bigger ring rather than a smaller ring because it appears to have SAM after the operation. And so, so likely she would either get, for me, a triangular resection, maybe some artificial cords, and a, uh, uh, and a, and a ring that's uh, not larger, but basically true-sized ring. Uh, after that part is, and my myocardial protection strategy would be antigrade cardioplegia. And perhaps retrograde, if I felt like it was not detecting properly, and certainly some ice on the right heart, because the right heart is going to be really uh, an issue if someone wide open PR. I would then, after finishing uh, the mitral repair and testing it intraoperatively, I'd leave a vent across the mitral valve, close the left atrium, and work on the tricuspid. Previously, we would usually take the pulse clamp at that time once we figured out there's not an ASD. And I think it's easier to put the sutures in carefully uh, while the heart's still arresting. And uh, so I would look, look at that. There are all kinds of non-ring techniques that tend not to work as well as using a, a tricuspid ring. So my preference in a case like this with severe TR would be to use a, a ring. Uh, and typically, it, there's been also a lot of discussion what size ring. In the case with a 45 millimeter um, annulus, I'd probably get it down to about a 28. Now it's all said and done. You could argue with 28 or 26, but, but that's what I would use. I would put a formal, formal sutures in, reduce the annulus down to a 28, and very rarely would have to do anything about the leaflets. That would be my operation. At one time, we used to believe that the tricuspid would take care of itself. Once we do the microvalve part of the operation, we now know it's wrong. Patients really struggle, and they often have long-standing sequelae, so we would always fix the tricuspid. How do you make the decision between a tricuspid valve repair and a replacement? I almost never will replace a tricuspid valve. I, there are some people with severe rheumatic disease or carcinoid syndrome. The valve just cannot be salvaged. But almost always, I would try to repair it. So if it's just annular dilatation, the valve 
was repaired. What do you do in the operating room to test the repair? Or, or what are you looking for on that intra-op echo party? So, uh, you know, I would test the repair, you know, prior to closing the atrium with you know, saline injection. And typically then that's a pretty good sign. But I would, once I, you know, uh, started, took the cross clamp off the when the atrium was closed, I would look at the intra-operative If you're left with more than mild micro-regurgitation or even more than mild regurgitation, you need to do more. And that's the time to do it when you're in the operative and I must say that with a track husband, if you really downsize it enough, almost always looks about perfect. Is this patient particularly susceptible to any specific post-operative complications? You know, the big issue is, again, depending on how much liver dysfunction is, uh, you know, that would potentially an issue. The second issue is their right heart has been beaten up by the track vegetation. So they often, they may have some right heart failure. So I've pretty... Uh, I would suggest certainly using some lower known afterward, even if patients do particularly well. And whatever you do, you do not want to overload these patients because, because it's easy to overload the right heart and so on, some issues. So here we are uh, six weeks later in the clinic. Uh, what specific questions will you ask her and what physical exam findings will you be looking for? Well, I certainly would listen for murmurs. I think it's probably a good idea at that point to get an you know, get an echo in the office. I would look for, you know, a jugular distension or a cytomese edema. And I would see how, how she feels. But if she's saying she should likely feel much, much better based on she's walking and feels well and no evidence of heart failure and no weight gain, I'll be pretty happy. Well, Dr. Crone, thanks for going through the case with us. Um, is there anything else that we didn't discuss that you'd like for us to take away about tricuspid regurgitation? It's pretty clear you need to fix severe tricuspid regurgitation. The big question is what to do with moderate tricuspid regurgitation. There's a trial through the cardiothoracic surgical network, which is essentially completed now, that will give us the answer to that question. One of the hardest operations to do in terms of morbidity and mortality is lone tricuspid valve after they've had previous heart valve surgery. These patients really have a hard time. And so I think it's critical that that you err on the side of repair when there's moderate or severe tricuspid Mild tricuspid don't believe needs repair and will get better on the side. Dr. Crone, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Bud.